0: so it's been a few weeks uh, we are continuing to look at the life of David today. we are um, at a critical juncture end of first Samuel. This is kind of part one of panoramic picture of life in David and in so many years, he's been chased by King Saul and his army. And today's passage, King Saul dies. And then he, the, the new chapter of David's journey, and soon he will become king. Uh, we will witness together through the passages in 2 Samuel. So today is uh, somewhat kind of irrelevant to David's life if you are just looking at the external life but it has so much deeper truth and lessons for us because Saul's tragic end teaches us so so many things. So let's look at a little bit of a overview and background Uh, four things will help us to look at the passages it's just two two whole chapters we're covering today Uh, 1st Samuel chapter 28 and chapter 31 Um, and this introduction or background will help us to to look for the things that we don't see externally number one in terms of timeline these two events happen when David and his army, I mean his 600 men returned from a close call in the uh, battlefield of Philistines into a crisis let me do a really short recap and David was hanging out at a cave, and the people who are uh, outcast and people who are in debt. And all those people came, starting with 400 men, came to the cave of Adullam. And they began to serve David as their commander. Saul's army is still chased after them. And David makes a wrong decision to actually... It came from Saul and to, to, from the land of Judah. And he goes to the land of their enemies, Philistines, by the name of city called Ziklag. And from then on, he is really living a double life, acting like he's serving King Achish, one of the five lords in that city in Gath. Thinking that, making him to think that he is out to do anything, so he believes in him. And he basically says, "Okay, we're going to go against war against uh, Israel. You're going to come with me." And then David is, you know, for the first time, he's in a major dilemma. What am I to do? I've been deceiving him so far. But if we are going against Israel, army of Israel, Lord's army, the people of the Lord, and I am chosen and anointed to be the king of Israel, am I going to fight against them? Or if we, if I turn around, kill the commanders of Philistines, and become a war hero. King Saul is going to jealous even more. Any success that David had, he was he felt threatened because his throne was promised for King. I promised it for David, shepherd David. And the God I mean, intervenes. Remember that crisis, actual dilemma was intervened. The uh, four other lords, the warlords, uh, the Philistine kings, said, we absolutely forbid that. I don't trust him. What if he turns and makes a problem in the middle of battle battlefield? We cannot handle that. So David and his army, uh, his 600 men, goes back, returns to their town, Ziklag, thinking that, oh, what a relief. And then finding their, their little town burnt and all the women and children, their families are taken as a slaves by who? They don't even know. And then this crisis created a wake up call and then God pro- provided a provision there as well. This is a simultaneously happening. King Saul would begin to feel very, very distressed like David did. Remember they wailed when, when they came, came back to Ziklag. These 600 men, warriors, along with David, wept bitterly all day long until they couldn't cry anymore because of their physical strength. Just ran out. And then David was even more distressed because they were blaming and their talks about stoning David. That distressed. He turned to, to the Lord and strengthened himself. But unlike David, Saul 's distress and turn into desperation for any means to find answer to find some kind of help but they he has done this several times in their war, going against any kind of war and go to the high priest and the high priest will wear the epoch and in the epoch there's a two stones Urim and Tumim they're the stones that actually answers shall we go to the battle will you give them to us will you give us victory the answer yes or no was clear no answer well, obviously he actually slaughtered 600 um priests and none remember that and in his own personal dreams he's acting desperate as well but God doesn't answer so even out of his desperation God doesn't answer oh, one, of, one of the fear the reason why King Saul was extremely distressed this time around, it's not a one city state of Philistine. For example, um, Achish was the king and lord of this Gath city and state. But they have another four other and they unified together going against the war. Gaza, Eschatalon, Ashdod, Akron, and Gath, all five Lords of Philistines. So they were intimidating, just looking at that. And our uh, two of our episode, there is a double episode. Part one starts with "The Night Before." As I eluded that, you will see in our stories today. Saul's response to crisis is contrastingly different from David's. And and that contrasting difference actually provides key lesson for us. Why was it so different? King Saul's view of God was contrastingly different from David's view of God in return, in everyday life, whole other ramifications happen. So look for that. This might not be so apparent on the surface of the story. So, uh, as much as I want to just skip and summarize two stories, I think it will be very beneficial for you to see text itself so we're going to go through uh, tragic tragic end number one like double episode in chapter 28 and tragic number and number two in chapter 31 and then we'll draw some practical lessons for us let's start with the chapter 28 verse 3 verse 3 This section I will just title is A Desperate Search for Answer. Saul going back to what he had forbidden himself. Now Samuel had died and all Israel had mourned for him and buried in Ramah, his own city. You know, chapter 25 actually Saul's, Samuel's death and mourning of all Israel is already announced. And there is a reason why, intentional reason why the storyteller, narrator, uh, narrator is mentioning Saul's, Samuel's death again. The absence of any kind of spiritual guidance for King Saul who had rejected God's obedience and God's will. And Saul had put the mediums and the necromancers out of the end, out of the land, because of mosaic law. We'll get to that. Again. Verse four: The Philistines assembled and came and encamped at Shunem, and Saul gathered all Israel, and they encamped at Gilboa. When Saul saw the army of Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or no Urim or by prophets. Then Saul said to his servants, "Seek out for me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her." And his servants said to him, "Behold, there's a medium in Endor." So Saul disguised himself and put on other garments and went and he and two men with him. When they came to the woman by night, he said, Divine for me a spirit and bring up for me whomever I shall name to you. The woman said to him, Surely you know what Saul has done forbidden the whole Israel, this practice, how he has cut off the mediums and the necromancers from the land. Why then are you laying a trap for my life to bring out my death? But Saul swore to her by the Lord, As the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Then the woman said, whom shall I bring up for you? He said, bring up Samuel for me. The background of this is actually earlier when Saul was young (laughs) and more pure and passionate to keep the law. This is one of Mosaic law. In the, the five Pentateuch. Um, there's a repetition. Of the same law. Of a seriousness of this sin. Leviticus 19 verse 31. Do not turn to mediums. Or necromancers. The necromancer is the one who. Calls a dead spirit. And makes a connection. Do not seek them out. And so make yourselves unclean by them. I am the Lord your God. This kind of occult practices is actually leads people to experiment other things other than God, wholly one true God himself. And the punishment for that was a stoning death. In other words, this was serious, serious offense. And young Saul forbidden them, driven everyone out. At least on the surface, there are no mediums anymore in the land of Israel. Well, Whatever he forbidden, as a dog goes back to his own vomit to eat them, Saul goes back to this. Why? Out of desperation. He needs some answer. But this is a strange story, isn't it? And we'll find out in in the next segment. Um, But at this point, I wonder what goes through Saul's mind. Have you ever thought about that when you are in big, big trouble? Your mind goes thousand directions and say, I don't care what it is. If there is a way out, I need it. That's a very dangerous mindset. Your morals go out, your principles go out the window. And even the things that you used to care so much, including your spouse and children, sometimes. And then Saul is (coughs) in that crisis. Saul cannot see vertically. He sees horizontally. The trouble is his, and he needs to get out. He needs to fix this problem or someone who could fix the problem and no negative answer won't do at all the next segment he used a different method a desperate method same answer Um, verse 12 when the woman saw Samuel coming up he cried out with a loud voice And the woman said to Saul, Why have you deceived me? You are Saul. The king king said to her, Do not be afraid. What do you see? And the woman said to Saul, I see a God coming up out of of the earth. He said to her, What is his appearance? And she said, An old man was coming up, and he is wrapped in a robe. And Saul knew, that it was samuel and he bowed with his face to the ground and paid homage then then samuel said to her why have you disturbed me by bring me up bringing me up saul answered i am in, i am in great distress for the philistines are warring against me and god has turned away from me and answers me no more, either by prophets or by dreams. Therefore, I have summoned you to tell me what I shall do. And Samuel said, Why then do you ask me, since the Lord has turned from you and become your enemy? The Lord has done to you, as he spoke by me, For the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor David because you did not obey the voice of the Lord and did not carry out his fierce wrath against Amalek. Therefore, the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will give Israel also with you into the hand Of the Philistines. And tomorrow you and your sons. Shall be with me. The Lord will give. The army out of Israel. Also into the hands. Of the Philistines. Tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. Doesn't mean that, that. Any kind of eternal destination for them. And they will be in heaven. No the state of. You're going to be among the dead. Tomorrow, with me, that you will share, you will be no longer among the living. That's what he's saying. What could this mean? The strange phenomenon. It, it's obviously controversial, and there are so many opinions. I brought it down to four different commentators, different things. Number one, one of them is popular, is a deception. The woman lied. Actually in nowadays uh, I think it was ten plus years ago when New Age stuff and the psychic was popular and they were even on TV and then and they're having audience and they call out this you know my aunt or some someone and then he will just go at it. Who's Susie? Oh she she's my another aunt. And then just make the connection. And the woman, the audience, the woman cries. and The whole thing just sounds very fishy. Deception. So a lot of fortune tellers (coughs) and the mediums, they regularly (laughs) practice this deception. So some of them said, "Uh, it's a deception. No. So unlike the typical mediums, what's happening, what was happening there, it was King Saul was actually talking directly, not through the medium, to Samuel. So most likely not. Number two, it's the evil spirit. That's usually uh, the Bible scholars answer for this kind of phenomena. It's not the ghost of the dead person appears. It's the demonic spirit acting like the ghost of that that, that person. And then lures and there's so many kinds of uh, harmful things there. But once again, Saul talking to Samuel directly and then Samuel's words are so consistent with the word of the Lord before he passed away. And there is no sign of any kind of deception or evil intention number two option is most likely not and going to another extreme some people say this is a proof legitimacy that even nowadays it regularly can happen mediums can call the dead spirit spirit of that person to have an interaction um, no most, most likely not because basically uh, it's a good theology sound theology teaches us when a person dies he goes back to in, in, in front of the judgment seat of God whether that person will go to eternal damnation or in being with the Lord Jesus until the final resurrection happens so, bad theology there. So, I think, along with some of these commentators, number four is probably most fitting answer. This is actually true, real Samuel coming up, which doesn't happen ordinarily or usually, but exceptional, unusual in- intervention of sovereign God to so answer. Saul because his answers are very consistent and the words of Samuel as a true prophet would do the words of the Lord spoken through the prophet as a mouse peace and we, we will look at this lesson in later but if you look at two offenses there, basically, why did God reject Saul? Because Saul rejected God in two ways. One word summary is unfaithfulness. But one, the two part of that unfaithfulness is disobedience. God command him to carry out judgment for all Amalekites, but instead of obeying him, he sought out his own benefits, saving uh, not only King Agath of Amalekites, but the goats and uh, sheep, any good animals that in the name of, uh, maybe we could set aside for sacrifice for the Lord later. Remember how Samuel came, become indignant and says very famous words there in First Samuel 15. To obey is better than sacrifice. Another word is basically trusting some other sources, any kind of means than the one true God and his trust issue. Seeking guidance issue. But we'll look, look, explore that a, a little bit later. And this first uh, story, episode ends with compassion. What did Saul look for? Some kind of hopeful news. The answer is the same. Basically, your, you and your son, along with Israel, will be handed over to the Philistines. How horrible news. So he, he wasn't ready for that. He did not accept any kind of negative outcome. So he fell to the ground in verse twenty. Even says, um, "Let's go ahead and read it." Then Saul fell at once full length on the ground, filled with fear because of the words of Samuel, and there was no strength in him, for he had eaten nothing all day and all night. And the woman came to the Saul, to Saul, and when she saw she, he was terrified, she said to him, "Behold, your servant has obeyed you." I have taken my life in my hand and and have listened to what you have said to me. Now, therefore, you also obey your servant. Let me set a morsel of bread before you and eat so that you may have strength when you go on your way. He refused and said, I will not eat. But his servants together with the woman urged him and he listened to their words. So he arose from the earth and sat on the bread. Now the woman had a fattened calf in the house, and she quickly killed it, and she took flour and kneaded it to bake and baked unleavened bread of it, and she had put it before Saul and his servants, and they ate. Then they rose and went away that night. This woman shows compassion. Actually, God shows compassion through this woman. This feast becomes his last meal before his death. And this is the beginning of his tragic end. He's filled with regrets. Despair, self-pity. But unlike David, there is no true repentance. But his regrets, like those, is Judas Iscariot's remorse and his regrets. I should have done this. I should have listened to Samuel, and etc. Second story, in chapter 31, although a couple of chapters passed, it is actually the next day in the battlefield. Verse 1, Now the Philistines were fighting against Israel, and the men of Israel fled before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Gilboa. And the Philistines overtook Saul and his sons, And the Philistines struck down Jonathan and Abinadab and Makishah, the sons of Saul. The battle pressed hard against Saul, and the archers found him, and he was badly wounded by the the archers. Then Saul said to his armor-bearer, Draw your sword and thrust me through with it. Lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and mistreat me. But to his armor bearer would not. For he feared greatly because he was aware of the law of the Lord. Fearing the Lord he would not touch God's anointed. Therefore, Saul took his own sword and fell upon it, and when his armor-bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell upon his sword and died with him. The Saul died, and his three sons, and his armor-bearer, and all his men on the same day together." Indeed, the, the word of the Lord came out to be true of reality for Saul and because of his sins. His armor-bearer feared the Lord and couldn't touch his king, God's anointed, but in that he could not bear his responsibility that he killed himself as well. Oh, this is tragic. And just reading this story, we might just feel a little dumbfounded about, wow, well, God, this is your army. Even though their sins and King Saul's stupidity this violence against the, the army of the Lord? Who could ask that? Or the pure humanistic, humanistic or humanitarian point of view is this is so cruel. What's the difference between this and uh, the, the cruel overly violent Japanese anime or movies? Some of you guys know there is a sprinkle of the blood shows up in Japanese you know the realism happens but once again remember the introduction the background that was there is a lesson in this for us the last segment of that tragedy end is shows again compassion shown amid tragedy verse 7 and when the men of Israel who were on the other side of the valley, and those beyond the Jordan saw that the men of Israel had fled, and that Saul and his sons were dead, they abandoned their cities and fled, and the Philistines came and lived in them. The next day, when the Philistines came to strip the slain, they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Gilboa. So they cut off his head and stripped off his armor and sent messengers throughout the land of the Philistines to carry the good news to the house of their idols and to the people. They put his armor in the temple of Ashtaroth and they fastened, fastened, fastened his body to the wall of Bethshan. But when the inhabitants of Javish Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul all the valiant men arose and went all night and took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the wall of Bethshan, and they came to Jabish and burnt them there and they took their bones and buried them under the tamarisk tree in the Jabesh and fasted seven days who were the people of this city little town called uh, Jabesh Gilead chapter 11 of 1st Samuel has a story that when their city was overtaken no one would really help But young Saul, once again, pure young Saul, he was about to become king. And there are so many people who opposed the idea of Saul becoming king. Saul took the risk and delivered them. And they never forgotten. They came all night long. You kind of consider the distance. And it took courage and their kindness to take the body from the from the wall and his son's bodies and burn them in in the Old Testament burning uh, that course was a negative tone any kind of um, when you burn something unholy they will they will clarify i mean they will Purify in some sense. It's not like our days of uh, the pure, simple, uh, efficient method of burial. But in this case, it was an honor, their kindness is to prevent further shame from the Philistine. And they've actually took the bones and buried. Another, one, another way of showing respect and honor. Their tragic and still God's mercy and compassion is shown. Okay. Now let's reap the harvest of what we've been laboring on. There are three lessons. Quickly, I'm going to go through that. Number one lesson is on, in our relationship With God, simple trust and obedience are more important than external acts of worship and religious activities. It's a relationship with God. Our hearts, we cannot fool God with it. And sometimes the external external things just like Saul, we could be tempted to fixing ourselves on the outside. 1 Chronicles 10, 13-14 gives a, a, this account with their commentary, which means this is much more the viable perspective of why this tragic end happened. Verse 13, so Saul died for his breach of faith. He broke faith with the Lord in that he did not keep the command of the Lord, number one, and also consulted a medium seeking guidance, number two, trust issue, faith issue, in wrong places. He did not seek guidance from the Lord. Therefore, the Lord put him to death and turned the kingdom over to David, the son of Jesse. However... When you think about this, oh that's Saul is King, he's different from me. Yes, his responsibility, his role is monumentally different from every Joe, like you and me. But his sins are so common. In our lives, we could fix things on the outside rather than simple trust and obedience the Lord to restore our relationship with God is more important than anything else in life including physical life I think this is the moment Jesus was teaching he will say he who has ear let him hear this is important, this is the wisdom the wisdom is not is not obscure, complex intellectual st- stuff but very simple thing here your heart for the Lord and your simple obedience for the Lord is more important than your religious activities, your external donation, your external serving your church attendance, everything that you do Compared to your simple trust and obedience. Not enough. Number two, listen. In dealing with crisis, true repentance require, requires us to seek the restoration of a relationship with God regardless of outcome. This is a tough thing. Not only for Saul, but... Many of us who live in a pragmatic society, whatever works, if it works, it is good. Whatever what does not work, does not have a solution, it is not good. Right? Verse 19, chapter 28. This is the will of the Lord. Moreover, the Lord will give Israel also with you into the hand of the Philistines and tomorrow you and your sons will shall be with me. The Lord will give the army of Israel also into the hand of the Philistines. So when we are in crisis, we are obviously desperate. We say, Lord, I'll do anything. If you remove this thorn and pain, whatever that crisis I will repent. Yes, out of mercy, God often removes us and gives us a way out. But there are times the sovereign Lord, he has a better plan and better purpose for for us. He actually goes through that furnace without escaping out. The the matter of the question is, do you put your faith in sovereign God? Or do you put your faith in your own understanding of circumstances? God in sovereignty, let his son be nailed on the cross and bleed and suffered and die. His disciples, 11 disciples, other than John the apostle, were persecuted and they were murdered for their faith. John the Baptist was beheaded for his service. Many of our friends who were in mission field, instead of being delivered, they died. We cannot see the short-term effect of all that, but we know that Jim Elliot, his death and his his friend's death, continually impacts even coming generation. And I still remember when I was nineteen, reading Jim Elliot's journal, he that he wrote in during his Wheaton College days. He is no fool who gives what he cannot feed, what, what he cannot keep. To gain what he cannot lose, that he's sacrificed, murdered them, martyred them. There, we even without one word of sharing the gospel with the Indians, Ecuador Indians, God had a better plan. And he's pleased with his own sovereign purpose. He's not a cruel God. He's a sovereign God whose wisdom is far greater than anything else. So I ask you, when you finally are awakened from your spiritual sleep, and you repent, you change your behaviors, But do you repent, regardless of the outcome? A few years ago, uh, a friend, old friend, I haven't talked to each other for a long time, came into my office with desperation. Paul, my wife, kicked me out of the, uh, this is not our church, okay? (laughs) Out of the house, and when I tried to come back, he she actually gave a restraining order. Yes, I did kind of cheat it. Kind of cheat it? What does that mean, kind of cheat it? Um, but I'll do anything. I even broke my Bible. What do you think I need to do? I will do anything. I felt very... aching heart for my friend So at the same time the Holy Spirit nudging I asked him this question that's great will you repent will you do the things that I really ask you to do even if God does not restore your marriage even if you keep you're kept out of your family continuing on And then his demeanor changed right away. What are you talking about? This is what I, all the reason why I'm doing this. And I said, uh, when God says seek first kingdom of God, that seek God first, this is what it means. If you seek second things, you're not really seeking God first. Your true repentance is not real. I don't know what happened to that friend, but he didn't never he never came back. How about you? Will you obey and repent? Regardless, there is no way out out of your trouble that you still have to pay the penalty and pay the fine extremely difficult amount or or endure the tremendous ongoing pain with your children third and last in our view of God ultimately this is what the difference is God must be our purpose and chief end in life not as a means to our purpose and chief end David's confession in Psalm 16. In his, in his another crisis, he cries out to God. And he, he says this, verse 5. The Lord is my po- chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is a fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is what you know what's happening here. David is saying you are my purpose my chief end. And my ultimate happiness comes from you as well. But what do we do usually. I need to give I need to attend I need to have quiet time. I need to behave in certain way so that God could bless me, bless my family. There's no sickness, deadly diseases among our household including my mom and dad and my uncles, my aunt. No cancer, please. My sons and daughters will go to good schools. It's God means to an end. Is he a useful God or is he a sovereign God who has a Far better wisdom and plan for us. Brothers and sisters, my times uh, ran out already, and my encouragement for our church as we face this seemingly impassable obstacles with the city of Santa Ana. I mean, the worst case scenario that we could get kicked out meeting here after having invested $30,000 in the expansion. And God may show us a pathway that we may continually be thankful and God's favor has shown. But that's not a conditional of our whole faith. I just appreciate brother coming up to me today. I don't know the whole deal is. Maybe it's God is saying it's time that pillar of cloud is lifted up. You guys know what, what he's talking about. Exodus in the pillar of cloud is lifted up from the touching the it's time to move. You go wherever the pillar of the cloud is. Are we ready for that? Yes, if it's God's will. Because there is a Fullness of joy. I'm not just optimistic. You, I was like a flickering. My heart was a flickering light. And Irene came in, and you know, we walked. We had a one encouraging meeting and one discouraging meeting, and we didn't know what to do with it between that. In closing, I pleaded with you, brothers and sisters. As Pastor Jim has widely said, doubt your doubts and put your entire weight of trust in Sovereign God who cares for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this reminder and lessons from this tragic end of King Saul. And then we pray That in the midst of pragmatic world. We choose. That we might choose the way of the cross. The way of suffering and pain and death. In order that we may truly live. Qualitatively different life. In Christ Jesus. Because we believe and we trust you Lord there is a fullness of joy in your presence. That's all we want. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.